Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, those poor people are desperate to be on Benjamin's show, and I just go on Benjamin's show just to kind of yeah. chat. <laughs> and all these people who are like, I need to watch just one show and I can tell my life story. And I'm like, Yeah. Can we just chat about food? Oh, we, it would actually be really appropriate because I think I'm going to have to reach over and stir this thing every half an hour. What is it? Oh, oh what are you isn't making? Terribly professional. Um, carnitas? Hmm. I didn't well, realize it needed quite so much babysitting, but it needs a little babysitting. So you are taking my advice to, to up your meat intake. I think people have no idea how much meat I eat. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Amitas. Yeah. Hmm. There's no good Mexican food here, and... In Montreal, um, there's no good Mexican food in Montreal, in a city of three mm, million people. You're kidding mm, me. I've tried everything that I have heard of. There's got to so, be good Mexican food in Montreal. I have to make the good Mexican food. Fair enough. Happy Pride. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not directed at me. <laughs> You're the, the the resident gay guy. Yeah. Actually, you're not it's, gay. No, you're a it homo. It's a happy pride. Yeah. It's going. Is it's it? going very well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I think it's going quite well. Yeah. I mean, it, we've had what? We've had Bud Light. We've had uh, the Oxfam thing just now. Oxfam have climbed down, seemingly. Um, they, you mean they cut that one? Okay, wait, wait hold on. Image? I don't know what we're talking. What's they cut, oh, Yeah, you're right. You're right. Tell the okay, story. We've... Oh, go ahead, Liza. You join. No, 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 no. I don't. I didn't watch the video. I just saw the clip. Oh, they did, yeah, they did a video. Well, I didn't watch the whole video, but they did a video, and it had a, a, a horrendous caricature of somebody, and it had a badge on that said "tough" and. Um, all these people said, oh, it looks like J.K. Rowling, which uh, my first thing was, that's really harsh because J.K. Rowling's really attractive and it's this really haggard character. But then there's a source photograph where the clothing yeah. is, and the color, and just the whole and thing, the it's like, that's a source. If you've done any graphic design, you can tell a source photograph. Like, you sent that to this team of people. So they've What is that? Oxfam? This... Is this like a department store? It's something British. <laughs> no, Oxfam's a big and old, old British charity. It's Oxford Famine Relief. Really? So they've strayed a bit. They strayed a bit. Yeah, like everyone, every town would have had at least two Oxfam stores, like thrift stores, charity shops, we would call Oh, it. so it's like Salvation um, Army. They would be yeah but it's a, yeah exactly it's, okay. it is a lot like salvation army actually because it's probably if you said to people name a charity oxfam would be the top of the list but, yeah when yeah. i was trying to move to the uk many years ago and was looking for jobs that would hire someone who has no skill sets <laughs> that's one of the places that i well, looked and now true. okay none of the skill sets for which countries import immigrants no okay i won't argue with you on that 
Um, yeah. And think what you've missed. You could be you could be in an office with somebody who mm-hmm. who, who thinks like that. No, it's just there's been. It seems like every place that I ever thought of working when I was in my twenties has now become so odious to me that I have no. Like I feel like I'll just be unemployable. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like yeah. whether I like it or not, I have to stay in the academy. Really. I mean, I don't. I don't really have a plan beyond perma grad student. Huh. We'll see. Peter Pan, do it. Yeah. Stay in school forever. Yeah, I like. I don't have a plan to substitute for the library access without which I cannot live. Yeah. Hmm. I know people who've stayed in in degrees simply to keep their Athens access. And they've got yeah. no interest in doing the degree, and then they end up having to write a thesis because they're like, I suppose they've got to complete this degree <laughs> just to get the Nathans card. It's ridiculous. You'd think they'd sell them. People have happily paid hundreds per year. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. There has to be a better way. Hmm. Anyway, yeah. I think Pride's going very nicely. <laughs> From what I hear, I don't have any first-hand experience of it because it doesn't happen here. But it seems to be, or it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen anywhere where I would see it. But uh, it seems to be more and more people are aware of what's going on. I think that's good. When's the last time you went to Pride? Either of you? I've never gone. I've always well, one, I don't like crowds, and then gay crowds are even more disturbing to me. Bit homophobic <laughs> in Pride Month. Um, I've never been to Pride. Eliza probably. I think, so. I think I probably went drinking in, in in Pride Weekend, but I it was I wasn't part of a parade or a march or anything like that. Yeah, it was basically an excuse to go drinking, as far as I recall, back in the day. So anything we do, yeah. Um, I think I've gone a couple of times. I went to take I used to take photos of all the protests in the city where I lived. And all of the like big events and really, yeah. do you have like a coffee table book of like the the um, decay of the West kind of style? You know, it didn't start out that way, uh, but now I have a lot of material. Hmm. No, it was like you know, if you're kind of an introvert and you're not that great at plugging into things, to take photographs of them is a good way to like be part of the scene. Um, so that's probably how it started, and then it became something else. I'll probably go here. Well, at a certain point, it became more purely anthropological. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't get the desired effect of, of helping you bond with these people. You actually became there, like you were a student of them almost. I mean, I haven't all of <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I haven't gone in, I probably haven't gone since 2016. So. What happened in 2016 that scared you straight? Um, I don't even remember. I remember that that was the first year that it felt really family unfriendly. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. yeah. But what do you mean by that? Do you mean sexualized? Yeah, like super, yeah, super sexualized. I'm surprised you put it that recently. I thought that had been good. Well, maybe it depends. I, where. I mean, okay. So there was like, 
I lived in California and I didn't go to this, but I had coworkers who did like the Folsom Street Fair is there. And right, that's, yeah, that's like, kind of different. That's a little different. Um, I had this coworker who I really adored, who was this gay guy. And the weekend after the school, or the Monday after the Folsom Street Fair, he came back to work and he was just, he looked like he had just gotten off of like the craziest roller coaster in the world and was like, I've seen so many dicks. <laughs> <laughs> he had that thousand yard stare. <laughs> like, the a thousand dick stare. That's really bad in public. I don't understand. It's that. San Francisco. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So the thing is everywhere now. Just full so sexual license. What, Eliza? Yeah. So you guys spent a lot of time together in Ireland. We did. We chain smoked and drank okay it was fun yeah um it was all everyone was being very polite around me and not planning do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like you can imagine people wouldn't want to plan because they didn't know if i'd feel well or not so it kind of i think it's like the, the party kind of accidentally followed me and i didn't really know and so everyone was just kind of shaping around me and getting their accommodation around me and stuff. And I was a bit oblivious because okay. I was just a bit like, oh. yeah. Did you enjoy it? I, uh, you must have enjoyed it, the time here. Yeah. Yeah. You looked me? like you had a ball. Or Eliza. Uh, Eliza. Oh, I think you. Oh, me. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah, me too. Um, I feel like I didn't have much time with either of you guys. But I, I, I think you were the one who said this. You were like, it seems a little bit cruel that you finally meet all of these people in the real, you know, in the real world. And then you have minutes. five minutes with them. Right. I know. Yeah. I know. It's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I kind of, it made me realize how much we could all achieve if we all lived in the same place. Like, just imagine that, you know, all these people working together, if you literally all lived kind of within five minutes of one another. Yeah, you can see why the UK vibe. has got so much done. Mm. Yeah, because there's that whole thing of people being able to drive to see somebody else within basically a day, more or less. Yeah. Did you you, how did you find the WPATH conference, Eliza? What was your... E? EPATH? EPATH, yeah, sorry. Whatever, all paths lead to... WPATH. Lead to trouble. Um, yes. Snippy, it was interesting. Snippy. It was interesting. I mean, it really showed like how much kind of the state of the discourse had deteriorated since with WPATH because like genocide was not front and center at WPATH and it was front and center at EPATH. So that wasn't encouraging. It's um, just such a weird sentence. Yeah, it was this, and it all, like, as with everything with trans activism, there is this weird combination of like, is it genocidal or is it uncool, you know? And you kind of want to have it both ways so that if people are going to hook onto the genocide argument, you have that. And if people are going to be more motivated by like being really hip, you have that too. It's hip um, to be trans. Right. But it's also like just, I mean, the stuff about like Turks being dinosaurs and at that crazy McGill event that trans activists shut down. I remember this girl who was one minute she was inside with everybody else screaming about genocide and trying to like, you know, 
not rip us apart exactly, but it was like lives depended on us not getting into this talk. And then 10 minutes later, she's outside standing behind these two these two women who had wanted to go to the talk and were given an interview and she's walking around and she's flapping her arms and she's squawking like boring, boring. And it's like, pick one. How old was she? Oh, she was probably 19, 20. Yeah. Yeah. Pick one. So Epath was also like, okay, but pick one. Um, and it's disturbing to have the president of Epath, like the centerpiece of his keynote address was very defensive, which mm. was an, Interesting choice, um, especially because the the keynote of the WPATH conference had been so like evangelical. Mm -hmm. um, and in EPATH, it was really like, well, we respect everybody's freedom of speech, but we choose not to listen to it. And we don't hire flat earthers in geology departments. So draw your own conclusions. And nobody's being canceled. Yeah. yeah. And we all kind of proceeded like that. Without without you unveiling or revealing just how connected you are, you are pretty connected to a number of different counter movements or at least mm -hmm. organizations and stuff. From your point of view, how is the um, the dissident uh, or or the the counter revolutionary? Uh, force going shaping up i mean i think that's probably a better question for alistair who's actually organizing well alistair i mean yeah but but you are connected yeah but Eliza. more globally is, is the question you're asking you're kind of yeah. saying yeah well i guess both of you yeah. from from your both of your points of view uh just wondering like how the footing is changing and uh if you'd asked me until about two hours ago, I would have been really bleak. I was bleak this okay. morning. About, Why were about, you bleak this morning? I don't know, just because I saw something and it was just so overwhelmingly that the answers were just... It was something on Twitter and the answers were incredibly um, just ill-informed. It, it was just the stuff that we keep hearing, you know, over and over again. And you think... God, how many decades is it going to take to get through to all of those people one by one by one by one by one? But now I don't yeah. feel that way. I think mm. I think that's I think you can get a very distorted sense of this by looking at social media, and I should stop. <laughs> but generally, at the moment, very positive. I think very different. It's a really different feeling from how it was. What's your sense of why there's more of an opening now? Because uh, more people are prepared to talk about it, like we are, on camera, with our mm. real names, he says. You know, but I think that makes a difference, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's like when you start to, you know, you start to think, well, hold on a minute. It's I saw a thing today from Keith from Our Duty, and he, he's, he said, um, like, maybe we should just name and shame these surgeons. And I kind of thought about it and I thought, okay, my surgeon was called, um, I've forgotten his first name, but if I knew it, I'd say it. His surname's Flood. Like, I don't have any problem saying my Why would I have a problem saying my surgeon's name? He's a surgeon. He should be standing by his work. Why are we mm -hmm. using phrases like name and shame about a surgery that we're being told is legitimate? And I think that whole vibe, you kind of go into this with this very clandestine thing because of the power of the TRAs. You, 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 you're mm -hmm. sort of coming in in a very clandestine way. Mm 
And then suddenly you, you, you catch yourself on, as the Irish say. You have moments where you think, hold on a minute, this is absurd. Why would we cover the identity of a surgeon who's not doing anything illegal? Because mm-hmm. we think it's wrong. So we should say, this is the name of the surgeon. So there's moments like that where you, I do think possibly there's been this... Uh, Alistair, you have a fly on your head. On my okay, head. It, it flew off, it flew off. There was a fly on your temple for the last minute or so. Sorry. <laughs> you have to interrupt me. This house is full of flies and I can't do anything about it because um, you can't use fly spray around cats or dogs. Fly spray? I never heard of fly spray. Yeah, fly killer. Oh. Can you get those zapper tennis racket things? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I have no three-dimensional vision. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's a barrier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just ended up hitting myself repeatedly. Um, Yeah, okay. What about you, Eliza? What do you reckon? Where are we? So I do think that... I think that there are positive and negative spirals and that until recently we were in this negative spiral where people would speak out and experience massive consequences and other people would interpret that either as a sign that like the punishment you know the seriousness of the punishment means that the crime was very serious or would interpret it as okay i can't possibly afford to speak out and that that can be this negative cycle where people are more and more and more reserved with mm-hmm. entire, you know, in expressing entirely sane opinions that, and facts that everybody knew until five or ten years ago. Yeah, and that we do seem to be in a cycle where people are being more and more open. And part of it is just like I think Helen Joyce has referred to it as Operation Let the Transactivists Speak, and how well mm-hmm. it's going. Like part of it is that there's been much more exposure to these arguments and and people who or maybe inclined to give the benefit of the doubt, would now really struggle to do that. It's like, yeah. okay, no, it really, like, I, I was willing to grant that there might be something there that I don't understand, that nobody's expressing very well. But after you hear the hundredth parent, like activist parent of a transgender child say, well, she always loved poofy ballerina skirts, like you realize that there's just no there there. I think a lot of people are hitting that point. And I also think that it is getting five years ago, it was possible for most people to avoid the subject. And now not only is it, I mean, it's pride month, so it's particularly hmm. um, loud, Yeah. but it's, I mean, this is part of almost everybody's social circle that I talk to. They will know someone who has transitioned. And in almost every case, that means that they will know someone who disprove whose experience disproves the things that we are supposed to believe about transition and coming out as trans and how authentic and liberating that is. And that counts for something too. Hmm. So we're in a positive, we're in an up spiral. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder like about hosting like hosting events in the US and how to break through in the US. And I yeah, really the don't US know the answer different. to that. The yeah. US is going to be different. Yeah. And Canada, I don't think there's anything. I mean, 
yeah. Canada yeah, just, we just have to wait for the Canadians to work out that the, the way they can be less like America. They'll, they'll work it out eventually. They'll go like, oh, yeah. because everything they do just seems to be positioned against America, right? No, if, well, I think you're American, aren't you, Eliza? I am American, American. yes. Okay, well, okay. Yeah, I think that that that's... So, so go ahead. <laughs> It will almost be, well, do you know what I mean? It's like, no offence to Ireland, but the situation in Ireland will be determined by what happens in Britain and by the tipping mm-hmm. point of people. Because in Ireland, people want to, the left wants to position itself against, they, they're kind of pro-trans because they're not turf island, right? But then yeah. you hit the tipping point where people start to realise what that actually means. Yeah. Yeah. That's so maybe Canada, Canada will be like that, or maybe Canada will be like, the last redoubt of trans stuff and the rest of the world will just move on. Hmm. I could believe that too. Trinidad. Canada. <laughs> and uh, New Zealand and Australia are pretty deep in the pockets of the movement too. No, Australia seems reason. to be experiencing no? a few fractures. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Both politically. And then the, the really interesting thing, and I wonder if this will spread was that like the health insurer, um thing that came out a couple weeks ago which was like we're not gonna have backs of doctors who are transitioning kids because the evidence just isn't there like that who, kind of who did that what which insurance or... it was do you, oh, do you know was it uh, I know that it went, that's the one that failed in Texas but I saw it pass somewhere else but which country in Australia it okay. was it was like malpractice it insurance or maybe just health insurance. Okay. It was like, we're not going to cover these things and we're not going to def- like cover Was it good. one state in Australia or was it Australia? I think it's a company, she said. I think it must have been. I think it was a, I think it was a big company, but I okay. I guess we're just speculating. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't know anything about how the, the Australian health insurance, but I know that the, the, yeah, that's the kind of thing that they've been trying to introduce in Texas. And yes. And it's going to be very interesting because somewhere. suddenly then you've got a different group of people who want to know how many detransitioners there are. And yeah. they're not people who want to know how many detransitioners there are so that they can prove that child transition is wrong. And there's not people who want to know how many detransitioners are, there are so they can prove that nobody detransitions. It's people who want to know how many detransitioners there are so they can audit and make recommendations about how much insurance will cost. So then we could suddenly start to see a very, very different number in theory come out because we might start hearing the real percentage, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like one of the ways to take the knees out from under this in the US in particular. And Mm -hmm. that was what took the the steam out of the satanic panic was really like insurers stopped. Like there were, it was kind of two pronged. So there were lawsuits that were brought by families who had been, you know, falsely accused or by people who had been falsely accused of participating in the satanic panic for which there wasn't evidence. And the other side was that health insurers stopped covering the kinds of intensive therapy, like many hours every week for these patients in which these kinds of stories incubated and emerged and were sustained. Like that took a lot of one-on-one contact with believer therapists to sustain when it wasn't covered anymore be interesting to see if that happens with gender dysphoria. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's going to have yeah. this long afterlife, even if it crashes in popularity. It's like once an idea that's, you know, once an idea that's this compelling that explains 
this many different kinds of suffering kind of gets into the water and you don't get that back out again. It's it, it, it's it's so, as a theory, it so conforms to Occam's razor, right? It's just wrong. But it's like, it explains so much in the world with one, it's so, it's so yeah. elegant that you can see that you, it's just, it's just elegantly wrong. But yeah. it is a very elegant theory. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I mean, it's a very powerful metaphor for a deep sense of wrong. Like, it's very appealing. Very Gnostic. Very Gnostic. It's a Gnostic heresy. I can yeah. transcend the physical body by a process of uh, mental gymnastics, purify myself. Yeah. It's really genuinely before. like a, a secular holiday now, isn't it? Oh, it's it's not secular. It's just a it's just a series yeah, of yeah, holy days. It's holiday, but it's yeah. yeah but it's it, it, uh, have you got days off for it yet? No. Not even in Canada. No. Yeah. No. No. Actually, I think, the, I think here we have like Pride Summer and not just Pride Month. It's yeah, really bad. Pride season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. That you know that is a good. Uh, question because we have we have days off for uh, Juneteenth for the end of slavery. I guess it's a non-work holiday, mm. so it's not quite a bank holiday. But then we have uh, and th good so job we have considering the topic. The Col Columbus Day will eventually turn into Indigenous Peoples Day, and um, so yeah, we need to have an official Gay Day on a bank level. But we just have so many Gay Days; um, they're all ha Hallmark days. Um, it's like. Uh, day of uh dangly nut visibility you know uh, you know just like it's just going to go further and further and further are there 145 now i read yeah 145 it's half the year 145 yeah. there's 145 yeah when you add them all up various you know pansexual visibility days and all the rest of it i wonder, I wonder if we through the whole internet i mean that's not notable right that yeah. includes stuff that's like two people know about it but. yeah I wonder if there's an accelerationist uh, prong uh, to this, like like really just make it more and more and more religious openly. You you are being pr I'm, are you pronging I'm yourself? the accelerationist. <laughs> I'm totally an accelerationist. Yeah, on nearly all of these issues. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think if people are going to do it, then they should do it with confidence, and they should say no. You know, I think accelerationism would sort out the women's sport issue without as many young women losing places over the course of years, mm -hmm. it would look uglier, but it would resolve it in, let's say, a year. Because there is a real risk if it goes on for 10 years that young women just collectively as a generation just give up on sport. Yeah. Because they just can't be bothered with the... It's not even the unfairness. It, that's the second stage. It's just the it of the whole thing, you know? The, the situation, just yeah. the, everyone kind of being aware of it. And, and I, I'm in favor of, yeah, I would totally, if I, I, I could see the benefit, for example, of a whole bunch of guys coming in and qualifying and kicking all the women out and then refusing to race. So the race doesn't happen because then you get the sponsors. And so far that hasn't happened mm -hmm. organically. But so I'm also aware that yeah. how unfair it would be to do that. Well, I mean, yeah. So there have been a couple of like... Um kind of trollish cases where guys identify as girls for weightlifting. I think the guy mm -hmm. named Zuby and then another guy did that recently. But if men collectively did that, like as a intentional troll, like, like an entire high school 
class. They just mm-hmm. kind of t- totally troll the system. Um, you know, kind of like that guy mm-hmm. with the big things um, up in, yeah. who, <laughs> who turned out to maybe be a troll. We never figured out what happened with him, but he eventually got fired. You know, yeah, the shop teacher he was, was kind of daring them to sack him. Basically, yeah, was he was he was kind of accelerationist in a way. I mean, like that's pretty egregious, but I guess it's got to be pretty egregious. There's acceleration, and then there's airbags that big. Yeah. I think that one of the problems is that if I don't know, I think that there are a lot of solutions to that particular issue, which put around whether the the guys slightly get to sit out of it and. Okay, so you can look at that from a fairness point of view, but then I would also argue that generally, particularly among young people, young men are going to be better trolls, and this situation needs the crap trolling out of it, and they will be better trolls. Yeah. They'll be more confident and more aggressive, and I think. Mm-hmm. Is this your pro-Kiwi Farms moment, Alistair? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is not. No. No. There wasn't there an example of a whole bunch of young women boycotting a race. They were college students. Yeah. And then that it happened. just the, the school was just like, okay, well none of you won then. And and it didn't Yeah. yeah. That's why I think the men should boycott too. Or invade it with the consent and knowledge of the women for maybe one year. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> Finish it off. I feel like we need a website where everybody can submit and I like subversive ideas to overturn gender ideology where you live right now. And you could just kind of pick and choose and be like, okay, I'm at a school. I can run pretty fast. Like, you know, you can find your niche. Like GC uh, Chan or something like that. Oh gosh. Maybe not like that. We need more Chans. What other research have you been covering lately, Eliza? What have you been writing about? Um, I've been... What have I been writing about? Um, I've been doing a lot of interviews since I got back from Ireland. And I've also been kind of going back to my thesis, which I had not worked on for a little while. I just had too much to do. So um, I've been writing about... Which is really just like plowing through hundreds and hundreds of like Reddit posts that come up when you search for imposter syndrome and internalized transphobia and intrusive thoughts. So the things that I talked about in at Genspect. Um and just I mean it's a qualitative analysis and you just take these posts and you're like, okay, here are all the things that seem to be going on here. And here are all the themes and that's mostly what I've been doing. Any particularly wow. juicy, juicy moments? They're so juicy when you post them on on Twitter. I mean, I post. There are things that I post on Twitter, like those usually aren't the things that are coming up in my thesis. Like the thing about the woman who was stealth as who thought that she was stealth as a trans man, and so was freaking out because like her sister's boyfriend was going to go to the same dentist that like she had gone to when she was a kid, and it was just like, this is not the liberating authentic life that like is sold to people like passing is not all that it's cracked up to be like i do i I guess that's what i've been kind of looking into lately is this the experience of passing or thinking that you pass and that it has been this kind of 
beautiful destination that most people who transition aren't going to reach, but you know, you always might do it. If you get the next surgery, if you stay on hormones for another five years, like maybe you'll get there. And it's like, boy, when you get there, like in the posts that I read about it, people will talk about, well, you know, physically I've, I've never looked better and I'm really happy with my surgeries and like emotionally, like, I feel like I just can't connect with anybody. And it's like, yeah, because like, your entire life and everything that you've been through, including your transition, which has defined the last several years of your life, is something that you cannot share with other people if you want to pass. You have cut yourself off from human contact. Because even if the people around you are completely beautiful, the people from your past, yeah, they know. They still yeah. know. And so that the kind of falsity that it inserts into relationships and then, you know, you see people experiencing the cost of that falsity and not assigning it. And it's like, you asked everybody in your life to lie to you, and then you wonder why you feel like you're being lied to. There's a, there's a concept that they say that people who shoplift, people who shoplift for, for fun or whatever it is, I guess not fun, but you know, like for the thrill of it. Um, yeah. And there's a concept called duper's delight, which is the delight that you get in having duped somebody that even if, so even, so there's a certain type of shoplifter, like a really rich person who, who doesn't lack the money, but just wants to kind of get one yeah. over on other people. So can steal something and then feels like, you didn't see. And I wonder whether that's something you're seeing in the analysis of this these data or something you might look, do you know what I mean? Is there a lot I of, do know what kind you of mean. people feeling quite victorious about their, about passing? I know what you mean. And I, I honestly expected to find more of it. And when I wandered over mm. to the like male to female subs, I have found more of it, but I mean, my research is really on the, the female yeah. population and I don't okay. see it. I don't see this like, Oh, wow, this is so great. Like I've totally got this over on everybody or like, what you really see well, like a feeling, is feelings of revenge. Or, yeah. No, no. Like I really, that is some, not the feelings of revenge specifically, but the feeling of succeeding at passing. It's so rare. Like there will be celebratory posts where will be like TSA routed me through the mail scanners and that's a celebration. But there's never like, you know, I feel really great that, like, in all of my life, nobody has any idea who I really am. It's... Hmm. That's not how it comes out. But you see that in the mail. It's it's easier for you to... I do see that. some of that in the mail, yeah. but I don't watch That's those nearly as closely. Yeah. Uh, I, I just interviewed Phil Illy um, for the second time, okay. and he's written a book on auto-heterosexuality, where he... Um, theorizes that there's autogynophilia and then autoandrophilia. Um, and I think his work is pretty important because it really clearly states the sexual nature of uh, motivations behind transition. And he, mm -hmm. he builds a case based on research about the erotic aspect or just the orientation of loving yourself as the opposite sex or um, love your desire to be the opposite sex. Um, and 
so far as I know, uh, the main researchers, um, Bailey, Michael Bailey and uh, Ray Blanchard, they're not on board with the andro, uh, autoandrophilia, like the, the female mm-hmm. component of eroticism in this. So I'm wondering if you've, what you've seen with regards to sexual motivations for females. Um, Interesting. Is it, is it, and, and, and we have to take into account that female sexuality is going to be kind of expressed differently than male sexuality. Right. It can be a little bit more diffuse and subtle. So I'm wondering like what, what component, like as, if you, if you look at the etiology of, of this mass of people that you've been studying on the female, like to what mm-hmm. degree is it erotic and to what degree is it tr- trauma? Like, like there's all these different things. So just with the erotic aspect, what is your perspective? Yeah. So what I've noticed from the erotic side is that it seems there's a pretty common profile of like heterosexual girl who transitions, who is motivated by, and will will freely admit this, and often will freely admit it and then express great self-consciousness about it, um, that, that they were inspired to identify as a gay trans man because of anime because of reading erotic fan fiction about gay male relationships. This fan fiction is, of course, almost invariably written by women. So it's very relatable from the perspective of like female sexuality. And I think there's an extent to which like young women idealize gay relationships without having any idea what that's actually like or what male sexuality is actually like. But I think that a lot of young women see a gay male relationship as a relationship of equals, a relationship that doesn't have the same problems that are constantly on display of like the problems with heterosexuality. So it's a way to kind of tap into your sensuality, your desire for like romantic and sexual intimacy that doesn't feel as threatening as like having sex with a man and maybe you get pregnant and maybe he tries to strangle you in the bed, you know? Okay. Like there, there is that seems to play a really big role among gay trans men. And I think the one place, I think that it sets those particular girls up to be incredibly vulnerable to ironically heterosexual men who are willing to pretend to be gay men. Or bi. Or bisexual men who are willing to pretend to be gay men because they're, these girls are desperate for both like an intimate relationship with a male because they're heterosexual and to be validated in their trans gay man identity and a guy who does that like that's that's a pretty successful um sexual strategy and, and would the post you're reading give us enough information that you might be able to speculate about the age of the men who they usually seem to be, when ages are given, they tend to be pretty close in age. Right. I'm not seeing a huge, I'm not seeing the kinds of age gaps that we often see with like gay boys who transition and are groomed. Right. It's right. much more like so opportunistic peers. Okay. So it's basically, it's kind of woke bro. It's like the guys Douglas Murray talked about who all went to the pussy march and were very, very deferential. And when the women left the room, yeah. they were all like, I'm going to bang so much pussy in this. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Huh. I think my sense Pretending to be gay. Yeah. They're pretending to be gay so they can get. Yeah. 
sex with women that's so and and i mean these women will post about it and they'll be like you know my boyfriend is gay and and he's been really great because i'm not very far into my transition yet and he doesn't even mind like you know using my frontal he said it was fine it's you know it's more convenient it's like he's heterosexual there's the level of delusion is extreme convenient have you seen and it's it's, a, it's probably really difficult to find these the once if a woman goes down that path and then starts to feel regret and and starts to examine like how she's feeling mm-hmm. and then backs out of it like her posts aren't going to be as available anymore because she's going to get kicked out because the confirmation bias and the echo chamberiness. But where, where do you see like that? So have you seen, have you traced that? Like how the, that kind of trajectory of coming out of that identification? Yeah. Yeah. Or delusion. Yeah. I mean, it, those kinds of, there are women who fit that profile who show up some years later on, like there's the detransition subreddit and are able to like they'll acknowledge the role that fan fiction and the role that fantasy and fantasizing about a gay relationship had in their identification and i think i mean i think that it's i think it's understandable like it's but it's also it has this in so many cases, it has this completely like untested quality of, you know, like young people who have no life experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for every woman who is out there with a gay male boyfriend, that there, <laughs> what are there, three or four who have never had any kind of romantic, you know? It seems it's the kind of, it's like the whole identity is a fan fiction. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's nature with extra steps. Like there was a, like, cause it's pride month glamor UK published yeah. a, a photo. Well, a photo shoot and then an interview with a pregnant man. And, yeah, awesome. um, the red femme critique was that why are, why are trans women celebrated for starting businesses and trans men celebrated for having babies? And like, it's just, it's a crude thought. I mean, no, it's not a crude thought. Like my, my reaction is it's just nature with extra steps. Of course, we're going to adulate pregnancy. And of course we're going to adulate masculine ambition. It doesn't matter if you gender, if you swap the genders, it's like our primary values are still that the power of giving birth is supreme. And the power of building business is really admirable. And it doesn't matter if you wear a dress or you grow a beard, we're still going to like look at the, the basic human, it's just humanity, human nature with extra steps. And it kind of, it, that that's uh, contentious because it kind of gives the lie to the feminist. If we erase gender roles, we're going to stray from that. And I know you're more feminist yeah, than does. me, Eliza. No, so. no, I can see that. I, the thing that I thought was so interesting about the Glamour magazine profile, and I just... I would be so curious, like what was going on on a subconscious level with like the art direction of that photo shoot. Hmm. So the cover is, I mean, this woman who identifies as a man has had a mastectomy is heavily, heavily pregnant is naked and has had painted very thinly over like the swollen womb over everything, like has had this suit and tie and shirt painted over her skin. And it's kind of like this fiction 
stretched very thinly over this reality, which is that this is not a miraculous pregnancy of like a man becoming pregnant. This was like, okay, woman had sex with man and pregnancy is the entirely predictable outcome. Even if one's a he and one's a they, like this is not a, this is not a holy mystery that, you know, should be venerated on a new holy day by the peasants who come in from the countryside. So the person who impregnated him was them, or the, yes. or, or the, oh, okay. So she yeah. doesn't know who the father is, is what you're telling me. There are two candidates. I'm sorry, I refuse. I won't do it. I'm not going to pretend that the one person is they. Okay, yeah. right. Huh. It's interesting, actually, because there's been a couple of other trans pregnancy cases, and the partner is always something which you don't know why that is is that because you have to be like that to be in a couple with somebody like else what? or is it well, you some have to have some identity. kind of okay. special gender identity yourself or is it i don't know is it competition do you know what i mean i mean i think that my guess would be that it's more contagion than competition which is <laughs> if your partner buys into this belief system and forces you to participate in it as part of the condition of continuing the relationship, you know, there's the extent to which like, okay, you have to behave a certain way and then your cognitions follow your behaviors. And if you really, like, if you really start to behave this way, if you really start to believe those things, like who is going to identify as just a plain vanilla man or woman? If you really believe that like your partner is this super special unicorn person because they like, I don't even know. Watch yeah. NASCAR or yeah. read books or don't read books or I don't even. <laughs> so it's so, another variant of polite bisexuality, basically. It's another. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It, it, so one analysis um, that I, I want to explore more. I just I, I just spoke spoke with Jason Bradley, who's been doing phenomenal research and to the history of the idea of population control, Malthusianism, okay. and how that that is the bedrock of global governance is to reduce population. And so if you, if you start to look at it in that way, it makes a lot of sense why the government is completely behind LGBT plus stuff, because it's Darwinian. If you can convince the population that they're gay or, or that they're trans, then you can sterilize them. And then, or, or they, they get sterilized, they adopt, and then they perpetuate that idea and it'll just decrease population. So it works in that favor. So it, with that analysis, Sport Illustrated putting um, tra- a trans uh, woman or uh, on their cover and, and Victoria's Secret, um, mm-hmm. and then Glamour also glamorizing that. Um, it makes sense that if if it's fashionable and the idea is there and the idea comes and, and aligns with the powers that be and their interests, then that's there, there's an interesting analysis there. But like... What I'm, what I'm trying to formulate is that Sports Illustrated, if if you take out like the the psyop, uh, social constructionist point of view, and and you imagine that there's a sexual component to uh, Sports Illustrated, it's explicitly sexually oriented mm-hmm. that swimsuit issue. But they have to now that they're accepting the critical social justice stuff, they have to promote really obese people uh martha stewart has to be sexualized you know like the, the they sexualize the male um so there's I feel that like sexual you really get a break after 80 what but i feel like women should really get a break after 80 but Wait, get a break from being me. sexualized yes. <laughs> you're waiting for the day aren't you 
I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to be catcalled yeah. no more. Um, but okay, but from the female point of view, glamour. It's not a sexualization of that. It's a fashion, a uh, fashionation, right? It's it's like this fashionable it's idea, yeah. like it's elevation of that. Like what what are women getting off on in celebrating transness and trans uh, mm-hmm. trans masculinity? Like what are they getting off on? Like is it is it because it, it, it's about liberation? They're 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 watching like 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 what what are the psychological like mechanisms going on from the female point of view why are females mm-hmm. so into celebrating trans women and trans men like that's one thing that just keeps yeah. on coming up you know and and again it it kind of um kind of destabilizes the feminist narrative about the patriarchy's doing this it's like no women really get off women on... are certainly enthusiastic participants um, I, and not just yeah, the munchie stuff, not to the, the motherhood uh, stuff, but like, you know, like all these major feminist organizations and NGOs are all like, they put yeah. men above women. Yeah. But it's also worth pointing out, as Corinna says, that, that essentially among both sexes, the foot soldiers, the, the TRA foot soldiers tend to be androphilic. So they tend to be gay men and straight women tend to be mm-hmm. the people who are not making a lot of money and probably don't know that much what's going on. The people who are making the serious money and really know what's going on at a strategic level are mainly straight men, but there are also quite a lot of lesbians. So you think of Nancy Kelly, quite a few of these surgeons are lesbian women and a lot mm-hmm. of these surgeons are straight guys. So it seems like the powerful people among both sexes like women and the the useful idiots are the gay men and the straight women they're the ones who yeah. are, it seems i think corinna's right about that i don't yeah. think that there are obviously there'll be exceptions but it seems to me like the gay men are the kind of idiot foot soldiers in this as are the the straight women bluntly like yeah you know yeah does that ring true to you yeah it does um i hadn't thought it would fit in and androphilic kind of kind of a way um so when twisted. i think about what's going on with women yeah yeah when i think about what's going on with women which i do think about a lot just because um women my age have gotten so eaten up by this even though my sense is that we should have gotten a chance to like uh, i feel like women my age we got indoctrinated in with this in college and that by that time you should have enough of a sense of yourself to be able to be like okay but this is just bullshit and that that's very different from being, from being indoctrinated from like kindergarten. Um, and yet so many have fallen for it and I have to make sense of that somehow. I, you're you're so a cohort, think, like all, your friend, you've lost a lot of friends because you, you question this. It's really yeah. has a stranglehold on the millennial it really, woman. It really does. I mean, I, like I worked in the West coast progressive nonprofit sector. So you can imagine well that went for me um yeah one of the things that i think about and i this does not explain everything but i think that it's an important context is men are allowed to talk about being men without someone jumping on them every single time and say but are you including trans men and men are allowed to organize on behalf of men you know men's health men other issues without this trans inclusion being pushed on everything that they say for women this is not the case so anytime a woman wants to talk about things that have to do with being female 
they're either going to be devoted handmaidens or, you know, more likely like actual trans identified males who are there and, and demanding to be included and threatening you with social ostracization if you don't belong with it. And I think that, you know, this started so early when it comes to the women's like women's organizations, um, women's organizing generally before the kind of menace of the movement was clear that a lot of women went along with inclusion because there was an obvious price to be paid if you didn't. And you thought maybe you could get along with your work, get on with your work in a way that you would be constantly like stopped and questioned every time you didn't make it clear that, you know, men are also included. Um, and that this has a way of, when you give in on small things, as I think a lot of women, a lot of women's organizations did, it has a way of binding you in the future because you have to justify why you did that. And of course, okay, so it's much better to say, okay, I did this because it was the right thing to do and not, I did this because I was a coward and I just wanted to be left alone. And, you know, I kind of hoped that they would go away. Um, I do think that that's, I do think that that's an important context. And I even remember when I was starting to get really concerned about the gender stuff. Um, this was in 2015, 2016. Like, I, I would still write about, you know, women's issues, women's bodies, these, these interests that I'd always had on my Facebook. And I would just never, ever, ever, ever touch the trans subject. And because I was kind of going to ground to give myself space to think about it. But I wasn't entirely allowed to do that because every time I posted about women, almost every time I posted about anything to do with women, friends of mine, colleagues of mine would respond on the post or would message me and would be, what about trans women? Or here are these resources where you could include this or you could be more inclusive. Like I wasn't hey, being given women, space. your colleagues? Almost all women. Both. Almost all women. And it was always, you know, it was usually in the form of like a friendly tip and like, of course, you must have just forgotten. And, and do you yeah. think it was jealousy that you were writing successfully and that you were producing stuff and producing content and acting with intellectual confidence? And I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a writing success. It would be posting and writing about an article on a private Facebook page, you know? Right. But you still did something. But I, still, like, I, I take your point. You weren't. It wasn't. It, there wasn't a book launch. But do you know what I mean? It's, was it that thing of? I don't know. It has to be said that know. very female thing of people who don't do anything looking at people who do something and thinking. Huh. I don't really think that it was that, but I think, I think that there is a way that this ideology hacks into female socialization and that. It lets you be, you know, if you buy into it, it lets you be a little better than everybody else. And you still get a space to say something and you get to correct other people. And it, it like, it gives you this power. Authority. And it's this, it's, yeah, it's this like social power to kind of like correct people. And my sense is that there's something that's particularly appealing about that to some women. So the straight women do the correcting of the women and the gay men do the mockery of the women. Yeah. Essentially, that's the distribution of labor. What do you I mean, mean about the gay men? Alistair, can you expand on that? Well, I guess, I, I suppose you think of the, the, there's a certain type of like completely, think of that guy, Adrian Harrop, or the, there's certain there's certain gay male figures in this mm -hmm. who are very, very derisory towards 
any they're very quick to jump to the to the height of derision i think quicker than any woman would be but then the women mm-hmm. seem it seems like the women are doing the policing and like the kind of stuff you're talking about yeah. in this very yeah whereas the gay men are sort of i think some of the nastier activists i think but again that i would say true. idiot foot soldiers mainly not all mainly there are some making money out of it but a lot of them yeah. are not making anything out of it they think they are but they're not I also think that, like, I read last year Julia Serrano's Whipping Girl, and then I read, like, oh, over the last... It took, like, three months for me to read this fucking book. Oh, um, no. Why? Uh, I mean, because, it, can you say it to the into the microphone, the book? So it's Histories of the Transgender Child. Um, by? By Julian Bill Peterson. It took me months and months. I'm usually a pretty fast reader. It took me months and months to read this book because every page and a half I would run into literally the stupidest thing that I'd ever read in my life, supplanting the previous one and a half pages. And I would have to put the book down and text my brother. And that is not an efficient way to read a book. Um, Why, he, I mean, he could, what do you, what do you, what do you, uh, can you describe like the, 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 the root logic? Um, that it's uh, written under and then why it's producing so much idiocy? I mean, the root logic is it would be very convenient politically if there had always been transgender children because then we would lose the ability to see this as a recent creation of like medical technology and ideology. So that is kind of the concept of the book. It is written by someone who has gone to the, I don't have an argument, but I have a thesaurus school of rhetoric and he thinks that that this isn't obvious to readers, but it should be. Hmm. Um, he talks a lot about the racial plasticity of the reservoir of racial plasticity that transgender children represent. No idea oh, what that has to do with stuff, huh? Yes, it's really We're out adding there. the D to the acronym now. And it's just <coughs> like what I have learned from reading these books both of which have been heavily recommended to me by female peers of mine, especially Whipping Girl, Jesus Christ, um, is that a lot of people do not have the intellectual self-confidence to read something and say, this is just bullshit. (laughs) And the way that both of these books work is that they both, it's the combination of like emotional manipulation. Like if you're a good person, Serrano is particularly explicit about this. If you're a good person, if you're a good feminist, you're going to go along with this because it's feminist. Like it's just, it's just this act of labeling and they both express pity for the people who don't get it. And they both like just dress up. Phallus. They they both engage in like, in what? Phallus. Phallus. Oh, phallus. I mean, they both engage in this attempted intellectual intimidation and it shocks me how often it works where they will use such like abstruse language and such tortured, truly, like unbelievably tortured sentence level disasters <laughs> so that you don't get it. So that it doesn't make sense. And then they'll be so like, oh, you but if it doesn't make sense, it, you can right? still, yeah, right. you can't get it. Or yeah. you, you know, you diagram a sentence and you're like, oh, that's just bullshit. Apparently, this is very hard for a lot of people to say. Okay. Yeah, these eight words just mean but. These next 12 words mean the thing I just said. 
these yeah. 18 words mean wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah, the average yeah. person's just like, ah, yeah. I can't and do like it. This, right. Yeah, and this book goes back and forth in particular on like, you know, they will pile up so many contradictions and not only not resolve them, but never acknowledge them. And this what makes year it, is that book? If you don't know what this is. 90s? 2018. 2018. 2018. Oh, wow. So it's so it's after Bronsky Levens. Oh, I should check that. But wasn't Bronsky Levens the invention Bronsky of Levens, the trans? I say it was like 2015. Yeah, it was way before. I was going to say it was, I think it was 2015. I was going to say 2016, but you're probably yeah. So the so okay. So it's using the term transgender child, which was of course yeah Michelle Moore and Heather Bronsky Levens were the ones who actually pointed out the problem with that. Yeah, the big problem. But, but this, there's something powerful about like. You, you saying so many contradictory things and not resolving it and also not acknowledging that there are contradictions that it like i think that for a lot of people that's just becomes this like mental trap that you don't know how to get out of because you're trying to solve it and there must be a way that it makes sense there must be some plane on which it makes sense and if you were smarter that's or if you had done your homework better like you would resolve it it would make sense and so it becomes experienced so as like personal fault yeah I always think this about the gender wage gap thing, that there are these people who just have this belief that it's not a gender wage gap, it's a pregnancy wage gap, that there must be a way of resolving it. Why? Where's your God? Unless there's a God who's like, no, because I'm good and I won't let you suffer, then why? Why Why would it be the case that when we're so unfair that women have to bleed every month and have crazy hormones and all we have to do is orgasm. Why would it be the case that there's going to be some kind of control over income? And it's just, it's so theist. <laughs> and it's so theist, this belief that we we must be able to find a transgender child. Yeah. It's incredible. The, the whipping Girl, back to Whipping Girl. Is that the one where, uh, is that the person who just won the Pulitzer? And is that the one with that really egregious, like a woman is just an empty hole? No, that Is was Andrea Monshu. Okay, we're going to need more context here. Well, that could have been a few people. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a it's another trans woman writer who makes some pretty egregious, very very misogynistic statements about demeaning yeah. and wanting to be a woman because a woman is that which is demeaned, basically thing. But Whipping Girl doesn't have that really dark sexual component. Oh, to it, it does. Yeah, it okay. does. So I, I'm sorry yeah. to bring it back here. I apologize, Eliza, because you're a very proper uh, high-class mm-hmm. woman. But if women are, are recommending it, like there's got to be an erotic component of of the of an image of the woman being demeaned. <laughs> And then, like, resurrected by the power of the male, like, embodied, like, kind of, like, a really perverse kind of rescuing of the dragon kind of thing. Rescuing from the dragon. Woman know. It's, it's not erotic. It's, it's, it's pseudo-erotic because so, it's female. So it's empathetic. It's, so because it's, eroticism tends to be driven by men and because women are too... Yeah, I mean, what I'm inclined to say is Isn't there, like, on... a Fifty Shades of Trans thing going on here? Just a little bit, like, some sort but, of sadistic, but... masochistic fantasy? What I would say is that... What I would say is that what Serrano and Gilles Patterson, Peterson and Andrea Lomchu and all of these other men are banking on is that a lot of women are masochists. And it turns out that a lot of women are masochists because they read this book and then they submit to it. That's what I would say. You didn't need I'm the not... second half of that sentence, just the reading. Itself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's and then when you when you talk about the fact that there isn't a there 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 isn't it's not an argument it's basically at the end of all of these books it gets to go like yeah well so when you look at it like that it's a very male silverback 
coming out <laughs> telling you like this is what you should think. It's not actually oh, yeah. an argument because I mean, there's a, a different pure, way to go. It's a pure assertion. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Grey Slavery interviewed by Corinna and Nina on the heterodox. Really? Yeah, Nina sent me a message the next day. She was like, I had to cycle 60 miles to get that out of my hair. Probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, it's a very, very good interview. And that's the sense I came away with. Like, at some point, there was some moment where Grey Slavery, he said, like, basically, I genuinely believe... um, that if a woman's on a desert island, she's not a woman because you can't be a woman because being a woman is about being seen and therefore that would just be a person. And I would cont- I would, I would, accept that that person is female, but I wouldn't say that person's a woman. I thought, okay, no, you don't believe that. And frankly, he sounded kind of bored. Do you know what I mean? And okay. there's something like, but you don't believe that. And we all know that you don't believe that. You're just, the you're bringing the emotion, but you're not bringing anything else. And they're not, that's not always the case. Some people actually do make a fist of these ridiculous arguments. Huh. Yeah. No, the trans male academic is a particular, particular type. Walking indictment of academia. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, I need, like, I read this book and I, I I need a vacation. How does it end? You do it so that we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. How does it end? How does it culminate? Um, Let's see. It's kind of a scholarly monograph, right? It's kind of like a dissertation type thing. It's not like a, doesn't have the same waveform as a, as a novel, but. Budding transvestite. What? Question mark. Transvestit? Is that, is that about the estrogen and the and the boob growth? It's about a photograph of a child wearing clothes more typically associated with the other sex that's labeled a budding transvestite in somebody's medical files, and that's how it ends with this very sweet little anecdote. The millstones. And was that the author? No, I think he came to it later in life. The operative word being came. Okay, okay, yes. okay, okay, yeah. So, hmm, the, the trans kid thing, like, why... <sighs> trans kid, like, why Why are women... Why Why does it hijack the female instinct? It, it, it's a, such a powerful idea. I think it's hijacking female instincts, and I think it's exploiting... I think it's... It... it, 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 it operates within the male desire to to sexualize but women aren't using it to sexualize children they're using it to like rebirth their child's like i gave birth to you now i get to give birth to you again well it's control isn't it it's control and it's creation i think but it's an intentional creation it's like the, like the womb did all this work and I just submitted to my womb, but now I get to, I get to use my will and my fashion sense to, to sculpt. Like, like what Jazz Jennings' mom is doing is deeply psych, psychopathy, psychopathic, but it's still operating within a, the circuits of motherhood and the circuits of yeah. devouring mother. Uh, well, I was just saying more yeah, about control. Expect- Sorry. Hmm? Huh? I said, no, say more about control. Like a constant Me. tether. It's like it's like the umbilical cord gets to wrap around a couple more times. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I would like to see, and we can't get it because reasons, all of the usual reasons, is I'd love to see data on basically trans housings by proxy mothers, so mm -hmm. activist mothers who are transing their kids, and birth order, because I mm -hmm. strongly think there would be some interesting data in there, probably a lot about youngest boys and probably a lot about oldest girls. Um you know, so there's the phenomenon, there's, you know, yeah. I can hear Stella in my ear, kind of, she's not literally in my ear, saying um, the mother is always blamed, but there is the phenomenon of the younger son being kept by the controlling mother, the helicopter parent, mm -hmm. and there's also the phenomenon of the oldest daughter being kind of savaged by the mother, right? And then the, the, the other kids slowly getting easier, and these would be things that a lot of people would recognise. Mm -hmm. Well, not necessarily, but a lot of people. So I wonder whether that's, you know, and so those are both control mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. Scything down your daughter because you see her turning into a young woman and that's causing all sorts of things for you, which is very natural. It's all mothers yeah. are going to have that reaction. And then also the loss of the son. And, it, you know, with Jazz, I mean, I don't know where Jazz Jennings is in the birth order. He's the youngest. Yeah, that, yeah. And he mm -hmm. seems to have had a big sister who he adored and tried to emulate. Right. And that whole family very, very clearly reeks of one of you little bastards is going to make us some money one way or another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It, yeah. It's such a tangled mess that it's no wonder that um, heterosexual men are uh, kind of late to the party. I mean, ironically, you know, there's this perennial like daily wire, like chest thumping and then the feminist backlash. They're like, we're starting a movement. Like we're the ones who started this movement with this movie, you know, and then the, then the GC women are like, wait, uh, what? Like we've been like at the forefront, mm -hmm. we've been the ones who've been bashing in. Um, but it just from a, like a normie level, like men just, like it's so complex that like I, I understand why it's taken so long and all they really have is mockery like this is just this is stupid or they go towards this is the erosion of society kind of stuff but because we've already accepted all these other steps towards here um like we're not a part of the conversation but when you get into the weeds mm -hmm. it's just so complex for a normie man like the fathers like like you know where are the fathers in this stuff they're like i don't know what's going on with my daughter well, I, don't know I, I don't what's going on with yeah. my son you can see that as, there's certainly a sex-based element to all of that, and there's a very interesting question, which is why are 96% of people in the parents' support community mothers and 4% fathers, yeah. which is the figure we have. But I would also argue there's another component to it, which is idiot academics. Because you'll see somebody say something like, some person who obviously has just woken up to this, really obviously, and they'll come online and say like, hey, this is BS. There's only two genders. And what we should say is, yeah, brilliant. Go and look at that video of this detransitioner. It's really harrowing. And instead, we go into some anal, weird, flappy, uncontrolled, oh, there's a difference between sex and gender. No one cares. The average person doesn't care about the theoretical distinction between sex and gender. I'm sorry, I will die on this hill, and they never, ever will. And mm. so there's part of it, which is that you can't expect men or women who are not kind of of that critical theory, academic bent, 
to want to go into any kind of campaign where every word they use is going to be yeah. picked apart and problematized. I mean, look at the level of problematizing of language that gender critical people do. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I've never seen anything so, like it in my life that you you almost can't say a sentence without it being someone will object to some mm -hmm. word. You said trans, you didn't say trans. You used the wrong pronoun. So you can't expect normies to get into that because well, it just but, feels like opening but, a room full of people who tell you you're wrong. And so the Daily Wire vector into this is to just completely pare down the language and like go after Bud Light and Target, you know, right? Just just go after them and like this is this is wrong. Just say this is wrong, and like it was uh, when we go into the porn debate, um, and it's a big debate and it's a difficult conversation for a lot of different reasons, but I had Ayla and Megan Murphy on my channel and it was a train wreck, but Megan did make a point. Like there's no amount of data that you can show me that will convince me that this isn't just wrong. This is just wrong. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's terrible for everybody involved. It's demeaning of women. It's demeaning for the user. And there's something really refreshing about that. And it's counter it's kind of counter to our liberalism to just not make an argument and say, no, this is just, this is just wrong. It's just, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to deal with it. We're not going to go along with it. And we're going to say, fuck you to anybody who's trying to push this on us. And that is the normie level vector. And the, the arguments and the subtleties of it is, will always be sidelined to, to that. And I guess that's where the pendulum swing kind of thing comes in. Um, to the whole mm -hmm. movement and stuff. So it all then becomes about information because it's the level of information that some people will need to go from the normal response being that person's critical, that sounds like hatred and intolerance in the parts of the world where that would be a normal assumption to the normal assumption being something different. Um, and yeah. I'm aware I don't live in one of the parts of the world where the normal assumption would be you're a transphobic bigot. So I have great sympathy for people who've lost friends and all the rest of it, because I never did. Okay. Hmm. It sounds like you had quite a shift in your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I lost fewer friends than I expected. Oh, but okay. It was also, I mean, there's really nothing that prepares you for the experience of having someone who knows you very well and knows you not to be a hateful, terrible person and for them to start treating you like you're radioactive. And like I had this one friend and I think we've been friends for eight years and had talked every day. Um, to travel together, like all kinds of, like a very close friend. Um, and our friendship fell apart over the course of about one conversation. Oh my God. Yeah. And I wrote her a long letter that was like, you know, I think you want to do the right thing here. I'm not sure that you've done your homework to know what the right thing is. And here's why, like, I think about this the way that I do, since we didn't actually talk about any of those things before you cut me off. And her response to that was, every time that you try to talk to me about this, I'm going to donate $500 to a trans kid charity in your name. 
Wow. Yeah. So rich girl. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was it was just fascinating. And I still don't know how to interpret that gesture. Like, is she absolving herself of the guilt of off. listening to like wrong think? Is she trying to just shut me up? Yeah. But Well, or both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. But it's like if you try to warn me about this, I will fund the thing that you were warning me about. Or not even shut you up, just ah, stop. Mm -hmm. Stop. I don't know yeah. I can't hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember also like I remember that I had asked her so many questions and that the times that she responded to me like she never had a single question. Including when, you know, I mean, those are pretty serious things that I had written about where it's like, I don't know, some natural questions might have been like, what do you mean when you say that we're sterilizing children? Um, I would want to know that if I didn't. Yep. And you just feel that there must be this extreme cognitive dissonance and this terror of information that would lead you to the wrong conclusion. Yeah. Because she just couldn't And that it. probably, and probably would lead you, right? Because you have to have some belief that that would be the probable outcome, not a, well, I don't know, maybe, but like a minority outcome. But you, you've got to think that's a real risk. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if either of you read um, Cheslam and Loge, The Captive Mind, about his experiences in um, communist Poland. And like all of his friends who were fellow intellectuals and writers who kind of all of the different paths by which they reconciled themselves with communism. And he writes profiles. And I'm very tempted to write a version of that because I love oh, him and because I, I, should do that. I Yeah. You should totally do that. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. You should do that as a series. Like number one, the Yeah, he yeah. calls them like, you know, Alpha Beta whatever goes through, I think four or five different friends of his and, and like, I'd, how I'd did they love somebody, uh, I'd love somebody to, so when I wrote about the, the parents of the boys mm -hmm. I met, I noticed that, that a lot of the boys had this figure in their life who I called the cheerleader, who was a very influential socially, what would you say, like socially, I've lost the term, you know, high social status kind of mm -hmm. young woman. And it's really interesting that all of the mothers of the boys really profoundly disliked those girls' mothers. Okay. And profoundly disliked them and called them rich, spoiled princesses. Hmm. So I'd love to see somebody do a profile of the cheerleader. Like maybe your former friend who was the mm -hmm. I will give 500, maybe that's like the, the type of cheerleader. It's that, that kind of, there's something yeah. in there about affluence and there's something in there about confidence and... And there's Social also just something status. in there about, I mean, the performance of the donation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, even before our friendship broke up, like I, if somebody had been like, you know, who is your shallowest friend? Like, now it would be hard for me to think of who that would be. But at the time it would have been like, well, it's definitely her. Like, <laughs> so she just, it was very obvious to me that it was performative and that like, I remember the time of like the North Carolina bathroom bills and she organized this fundraiser to send like yellow Kool-Aid to lawmakers 
for $10 a like bottles of yellow Kool-Aid that look like urine. Oh, that looked like urine. Okay. Yes. So she didn't okay. she didn't go nearly as far as the men protesting There's against a... uh yeah, like the Equality and Human Rights Commission have gone. I think that was really urine. See, that's, uh... That's very, the male female. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Male, male pour, uh, save up the pee and pour it on themselves. Women just make Kool Aid and send it to the male. Yeah. But yeah, there mom. is a universal thing that somebody, I think it was Douglas Murray, pointed this out that a lot of these incredibly posh, as we would say, posh or like, mm -hmm. you know, wealthy, frankly, young people, it's funny, isn't it, how their protest seems to include somebody working class cleaning up mess. It really does. For all of their self-righteousness, they really, really enjoy watching women mop up sour milk and paint. And usually women, but also men. You, do you and know what I mean? Suit. And there is something about that. Like, mm. the au pair made me angry and I had a right to. And you should side with me because I'm your yeah. child, not the au pair. There's something about that which yeah. is just so delicious and awful. But yeah. the, the love of mess they have yeah and that someone else will always clean it up i think that's very perceptive yeah yeah he was right about that something i think about a lot is something my mom said when i was a kid about a co-worker of hers who had gone crazy for some other reason and she was like you know she's definitely drinking kool-aid and i think she was mixing the kool-aid and <laughs> <laughs> i think about that uh. <sighs> Yeah. How long ago was that 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 friendship ended? It ended about a month into the pandemic. So three years. Hmm. Yeah. At one point she accused me of not missing her and it was like, it's very like, you learn a lot about people through this, things that you didn't want to know often. Mm -hmm. um, and with things like that, it's like, yeah, it does make you reinterpret, like, were we ever friends if it could possibly end that way? And once you reflect on that, you don't miss that person. Because I would never have, you know, I would never have treated anyone in my life that way. No, because you didn't need to. She probably <laughs> felt she needed to, not to make excuses, yeah, but you know no, what I, I know. Mean? That's what's so sad about it. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I don't, like, what would I miss? <laughs> it's going to be very interesting as people start to get it. Over yeah. Over the coming, however long it's going to take. Yeah. No. It will be. Yeah. Alistair? Will... Mm -hmm. How's your health? Yeah. Um, seems all right. Yeah. We did an yeah. episode, but I, I'd like to just fold that into this one. Okay. So you, you okay. got news. Things are developing. So. Uh, yeah. So um, how much background should we give? Oh, well, yeah. Well, Not so you, like a year ago or about, you were diagnosed with one of the bigger um, stages yeah. of cancer. Stage three, which since escalated to stage four. Stage four. So I'm now in immunotherapy. Um, so if immunotherapy doesn't work, there really isn't treatment. Um, 
And then what we mean by immunotherapy working has two phases. One actually has to shrink your tumors and most people it doesn't work. It doesn't shrink the tumor at all. So 60% of people who are eligible, which is only a quarter of people in the first place, it doesn't work. And 40% of people it does work. And then within that, you have a small subset of people who can actually seem to stay alive for some time. And uh, it worked. I mean, the 40%. So your tumors are, 60%. are shrinking. The biggest tumor has gone from basically 4.5 centimeters to 2.3 and its longest axis. And so one of the things is, which I told you in that recording, it was a bit close to the, to the appointment. Um, so I was still kind of, you know, um, I didn't realize how bad things had got. She did tell me, but the thing is, it's really interesting thinking about responsible healthcare. Like they can't terrify you. They can't pin you to a chair and be like, okay, you have six, you have six tumors. So they tell you like detail about the worst thing so that they're not mm -hmm. deceiving you. But they also, so there was stuff that she told me, but then when I went back last time, I kind of went, oh, that's what that means. Um, so, I, so I'd had quite a lot more tumorous growth in various parts of my body than I thought. And they've all shrunk or disappeared, which means that it's working and I'm at the top end of the better end of working hmm. as well. But past performance is not a guarantee of future performance in this yeah. case. Um, and it could turn around. The only issue I have at the minute is just the psychological terror of pain. Because in the last week, my pain levels, uh, my pain had basically disappeared and now it's come back. So then you're like, oh my God, it's failed. Because in 80% of cases, this will fail. Now, it was 92%. And then I got, so I was one of the 40%. So therefore it's now, I'm going to be, I've got an 80% chance of failing rather than a 92% chance of failing. So it's getting better. It's going mm. in the right direction. But um, so the, the terror of the pain, that feeling pain and then being like, okay, so what does that mean? It's quite difficult to manage. That's the worst yeah. aspect of it. Hmm. Um, and there's no point in talking to anyone about it in particular because, you know, unless I'm going to save up for my own personal CAT scanner, because um, they're yeah, only yeah, like yeah. three million quid, uh, then I'm just going to have to put up with the fact that it's only every three months I will find out what's going on. Hmm. Okay. But it works. Hmm. Um, and your pain decreased and me. returned. And sorry, huh? What did she called you? Uh, yeah, the consultant called me because she couldn't wait to tell me um, basically that it worked, which is really nice. So it looks like I'm at the upper end, but you know they're very, very careful with language. They don't because yeah. I want numbers. I'm desperate for numbers. Like I want to know where I am in my cohort. This is why I'd be terrible if I was like a marathon racer i'd just stop all the time to see where everyone else was and i'd be like oh now i've lost <laughs> um so yeah it's okay i think also another thing was that like there was so much which went on in april and it was so busy and and stuff and and that maybe that just kind of takes your mind elsewhere and i definitely had a big slump after everyone left i think we all had a big slump like a big mental health slump after that event, one way or another. Huh. I don't know. Like, it was really intense. And then, like, I think, so the whole of, like, 
mid-May, just after my birthday, I was kind of like really down. Like, <clears throat> do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but other than that, I won't know. I've just got to keep on going in every three weeks and I won't know anything else until August. And any other reactions to this immunotherapy for you? I think so. I had a cold, right. Mark had a cold and um, I always make fun of him because he's pathetic when he has a cold and he lies in bed and goes, uh, Does he have man flu? Uh, yeah, he's complete man flu. It's <laughs> pathetic. So, and I've never had, I've, I don't, I mean, I must have had the flu because I'm, in my 40s so i must have had the flu but i've never really suffered i've never had one of those uh, uh. so he had this thing and i just mercilessly mocked him for two days and then oh boy i saw so i got this whatever it is cold or flu and i was walloped like i was in bed for five days i've never had to go to bed because of cold ever in my life um and i've still got it it's, it's lasted like hmm. two weeks okay and I think that might be, there's no way of knowing, but I never suffer with coughs and colds and um, flu and headaches and stuff like that. It just doesn't happen. And this thing massively hit me. And I've heard people say that about immunotherapy. It kind of rings true, right? Because if your immune system is doing all the yeah. things it normally does, like creating mucus, well, as soon as you get any kind of infection. So I've been doing lots of that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And other than that, the only thing is if I, if, if things keep working and if things keep going well, then I found out that probably in about a year I could be eligible for stoma reversal surgery, which is the big goal. What is that? It's to get rid of my stoma. So going back to pooping out your butt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for it, Benjamin. <laughs> We've been vilified too long. <laughs> yes, I'm just pooping out of my butt. Uh, but I'm not eligible till next year, basically. that's It's kind of, there's not much point in doing it until they know whether things are stable. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. What? What are you thinking, Benjamin? Oh, that life is really weird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Here's your but unexpected you, things. Yeah. Can you tell us more about um, Denver? About what? About Denver? Denver in November? Talk about it. Um, I can't tell you that much more. I can say that we're having a conference. I can say it okay. will be roughly on the 4th or 5th, 4th to 5th, excuse me, of November. Um, don't book tickets yet. Don't book your tickets yet because we will have more, much more specific information. So there will be a release of lots of tasty information relatively soon. Hmm. Okay. Relatively soon. Not far off. You're going to try to I'm make it? I'm doing the artwork right now. Yeah. You're going to be there, yeah. right, Alistair? Yeah. And Eliza, you're going to be there? I would like to. Also, I probably can't resist going to US PAP again. It's like this weird little addiction. Well, they don't you have see now. you on the way in. Do they? Are they not aware <laughs> of? I I don't 
don't think that they I remember before ePath, I was like, it's possible now that somebody could recognize me. And then as soon as I got there, it was just like, no, that's ridiculous. You know, an awful lot of people at WPath have watched the whole of the Genspec conference. Okay. How do you so, how do you know that? I just know that. <laughs> okay. I want to see the documents. I want to see the forum threads. I want to see the comments. I want to see the reactions. It's been seen and it's been noticed. Yeah. So that may, I'm just saying that may, that may end soon. Your, your, mm. your ability to slip in and out of rooms. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, as other people have pointed out to me, I could always shave half of my head and dye the other half and then I could make it. This is like naming and shaming the surgeon. Why are we pretending that we're doing something? <laughs> it gets to you. Do you know what I mean? You develop these behavior patterns and then you think, well, hold on a minute. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it, with WPATH and UPATH both, it was like, I'm not doing anything. You know, I didn't misrepresent myself. I'm a grad student. I study this. Right. I'm sincerely right. interested, I assure you. Yeah. yeah. And then it does rather undercut the super fun spy part. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's legitimacy to being there mm -hmm. as yourself. Yes. Friends, I'd like to see the way that they see you. Do you know Maybe. how they see you? Yeah. Do you know, Eliza, how they see you? No. Wicked witch. She wants to know. Terrible person. <laughs> Alistair knows. What? No, no, no. I was just wondering. Do you want to know? You kind of your reaction was like, no, I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to think about how they I see. Would, I'd be curious. Hmm. I think I looked much like WPATH was much more activisty, and I stood out much more there. And EPATH was much more professionally, professionalish. Despite the genocide. Despite and... the genocide, yeah. If we could just bracket the genocide, then we could say it was more professional. What no, were that you statement say, applies to so many things in European history. Yeah, it was. The best if of you said the was... genocide aside. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Me? Me, nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say thank you very much, both of you, for returning to my channel. It's always great to have you yeah. on, and it's great to pair you up. And Eliza's substack will be linked in the description, and Alistair is now out on Twitter, so that will finally be oh, really? in yeah. the description, and you can go yeah. and follow his spicy takes. Okay. His rantings. I'm not sure there's much in the way of spicy takes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you you need to get on that, brother. Okay, I'll do my best. Um, it was a pleasure. It was really nice to do this with you, Eliza. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was lovely to see you guys. Thanks, Benjamin. Boop.